This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 132 The Puna Poltergeist In the shadow-laced alleys of reality, where worlds blur and the unseen dances with the scene, There are phenomena so chilling, they etch deep scars into the soul. In Pune, a city resonating with the hum of academic life, often hailed as the Oxford of the East, a sinister tale unfolded in the 1920s, one that gnawed at the comforting adage that the dead can't harm the living, revealing a universe far beyond our ken. In this intellectual haven, Under the oppressive shroud of British dominion, two German women, Miss H. Cohn and her sister Edith, sought refuge. Puna, a city breathing with the whispers of history and secrets, embraced them. Miss Cohn, a linguistic enchantress, and Edith, a translator bridging worlds, found a kindred spirit in Dr. S. V. Ketkar, a sage of Maratha history. Together, they wove their presence into the fabric of the city, a city pulsating with the promise of enlightenment and shadowed by the specters of the unknown. Under their learned roof, an ominous air began to stir, heralding the onset of unexplained phenomena. Miss Cohn, with a meticulous eye, documented these events from July of 1928 to July of 1929 chronicling a year of the inexplicable. The focus of these eerie occurrences was Demodar, the Ketkar's adopted son, a wellspring of joy and intellect whose life began to twist into the realms of the unexplained with the arrival of his older brother, a harbinger of darkness. In Mumbai, the older brother had languished in a tea shop, lost in a relentless grind of overwork and malnourishment, until Dr. Ketkar offered respite. Yet, after a year, the boy claimed to have been transported to Victoria Gardens in a supernatural twist, an event initially dismissed by the family but soon impossible to ignore, as similar incidents wore themselves into their lives with unsettling regularity. The Ketkar household, a bastion of knowledge and reason, became the new home for the boy, or Miss Cohen, armed with rationality, was determined to prove these tales as mere superstitions. But what transpired in the nights to come challenged their grasp on reality. Miss Cohen witnessed a mirror gracefully descend from the wall, defying gravity, 
and a paperweight move as if guided by an unseen hand. These events, initially isolated, grew in frequency and terror, culminating in a night of chaos where the boy was violently ejected from his bed amidst a room turned upside down by an invisible force. As word of these terrifying occurrences spread through Puna, offers of refuge for the teenage boy were made and quickly were attracted, as fear and superstition gripped the hearts of the populace. He became an outcast, feared as a bringer of bad luck, a magnet for unseen forces. In this tale of creeping dread where the thin veil between reality and the unknown was relentlessly tested, the true nature of our existence was called into question, revealing a world where we are but puppets in the hands of unfathomable forces. In the heart of this fear-fueled maelstrom, Miss Cone's meticulous records emerged as a chilling tapestry of the inexplicable. Her journal, a ledger of nightmares, meticulously detailed the sinister occurrences that bore the unmistakable imprint of poltergeist activity. Objects untouched by mortal hands moved with an eerie autonomy, performing a macabre dance in the shroud of night. Personal belongings, treasured and ordinary, disappeared into the ether, only to resurface in the most of unexpected places, as if partaking in a cruel game with their owners. Each entry into her journal stood as a testament to the uncanny and the unexplained, painting a vivid portrait of a household under siege by an unseen force. As the new year of 1929 dawned, the sinister presence in the Ketkar household morphed into something even more foreboding. The malicious entity, no longer content with tormenting the teenage boy, now cast its malevolent shadow over younger brother, Demidar. Miss Cone's journal chronicled this disturbing shift with a sense of creeping dread. She described an unsettling episode where Demidar's toy ball, seemingly guided by an invisible hand, rolled across the veranda floor to strike her ankle with a startling force. By April, this malevolent presence escalated its terror. Another of Demidar's toys, as if possessed by a sinister will, hurled itself from a cupboard, narrowly missing Miss Cone and the boy. This ceaseless terror began to relentlessly erode young Demidar's once vibrant spirit. The simple acts of eating and drinking became battles against an invisible adversary, as sustenance was cruelly snatched from his grasp, plunging him into a well of despair. Navigating the house turned into a nightmarish ordeal, with objects hurled at him by unseen forces, transforming everyday items into weapons of fear. Demidor and his mother, paralyzed by an all-consuming terror, found themselves ensnared in a relentless assault. In an act of desperate protection, his parents resorted to hand-feeding him, a poignant gesture of defiance against the unseen horror. Dr. Katkar, a father not just in name, but in action, cradled his son, trying in vain to shield him from the relentless barrage of objects. To the terror-stricken witnesses within the home, it seemed as though the very air around Demidar was intent on his destruction. 
each moment a calculated, unseen attack on his life. As the haunting in the Ketkar household reached a fever pitch, whispers among the townsfolk swelled into a chorus of fearful speculation. Rumors abounded that the spectral torment besetting Demodar was not a new curse, but rather a sinister legacy echoing a tragic past. Some speculated that the shadow of the paranormal had loomed over him since birth, rendering him an orphan. Miss Cone, driven by a need to untangle this enigma, delved into the tragic history of the boy's mother, uncovering a narrative drenched in sorrow and dread. It was said that the mother had been tormented by ghastly apparitions, unseen by others, yet hauntingly real to her. These spectral figures materializing in the family home drove her to the brink of madness. Dismissed and disbelieved, she ultimately succumbed to the shadows that had relentlessly pursued her, ending her life in a blaze of despair. The specter of death had visited the family earlier, claiming their older son at a tender age, further entwining the family's narrative with a curse. This lineage of spectral affliction seemed to re-emerge in Demodar and his brother, a hereditary doom woven through the generations. The veracity of these dark whispers was chillingly confirmed on the night of August 12, 1928. Edith Cohn, a reluctant witness to the inexplicable, reported a soul-chilling encounter. In the deathly stillness of the night, she witnessed the materialization of two full-bodied apparitions, their ethereal forms radiating terror. These ghostly figures glided into her room, ominously approaching her bed. Paralyzed with fear, Edith could only watch, a helpless observer as they traversed the room. Their presence, a stark reminder of the family's haunted lineage. The veil between the visible and the invisible realms continued to fray as young Demodar, trapped in a web of terror, began to witness horrifying apparitions himself. His accounts of these spectral figures, with their grotesquely twisted faces, painted a picture of relentless torment. The phantoms, unfettered by physical laws, shadowed him relentlessly, their malevolent smiles and sinister whispers a constant harrowing presence from dawn to dusk, even daring to follow him in the perceived safety of school. Within the confines of the Katkar residence, the other inhabitants borne witness to the inexplicable. Objects moved of their own volition, disappearing and reappearing in a disturbing dance with the unknown. Coins, symbols of the tangible world, defied explanation, materializing from the void into their realm. As time marched on, the intensity of these occurrences grew. Demodar, at the epicenter of this supernatural tempest, spoke of feeling unseen hands exerting forceful pressure against his back and shoulders a tangible manifestation of the intangible terror that enveloped them. As the paranormal maelstrom within the Katkar household spiraled into even darker realms, the phenomena manifested in ways that defied all earthly logic. Demodar, 
his voice quivering with a mix of fear and disbelief, recounted a harrowing experience to Miss Cone. He had been levitated from the ground, transported as if by invisible hands, and deposited into the family's motor car, parked in the gloomy confines of the shed. His eyes, which had been squeezed shut against the horror, fluttered open to reveal his new and explicable location, with the shed door ominously shut behind him. The impact of this revelation left Demidar in a state of profound shock, necessitating medical intervention. The attending physician noted the boy's alarmingly weak pulse and his eyes rolling in terror, a stark indicator of the psychological toll exacted by the unseen force. In their depths of desperation, the Ketkar family sought help from any quarter that promised even a sliver of hope against the dark forces besieging their home. They turned to a local clairvoyant, reputed for her dealings with the ethereal, and a self-proclaimed exorcist who stepped forward, claiming the power to banish the spirits. But each attempt to comfort and cast out the haunting entities only seemed to stoke the fires, intensifying the spectral activity. It became apparent that the spirits possessed a cunning and malevolent intelligence, reacting with hostile force to any attempts at exorcism. The self-assured exorcist, confident in his abilities, faced a chilling reality within the confines of the Ketkar residence. On August 13th, he was struck by a force so powerful it sent his consciousness spiraling into a dark abyss, leaving him unconscious, disconnected from the physical world. He could only be revived by splashing him with water, a primitive but effective method that pulled him back from the brink. As the year edged toward its close, the haunting within the Ketkar household reached new heights of terror. The entity, or entities, seemed particularly fixated on young Demidar, their attacks becoming more frequent and violent. The simple act of eating transformed into a battleground, with the entity displaying a disturbing propensity to invade the mundane spaces of cabinets and cupboards, hurling food in wild poltergeist-like displays. Eggs, ordinarily mundane, became the focus of its attention, forcing the family to resort to storing them with neighbors for safekeeping. Stranger still were the reports of the entity's interaction with the family's food. Miss Cohn detailed incidents where fruit was taken by the invisible ones, only to be found later with their skins peeled back, scraped clean, and the flesh bearing the unmistakable marks of teeth. This chilling detail was corroborated by the entire household, who also reported the eerie sounds of unseen footsteps and the distinct smacking of invisible lips indulging in a ghostly feast. The Ketkar residence had transformed into a domain where the line between the physical and spectral realms was terrifyingly blurred. In a particularly disturbing incident, the enigma deepened when six eggs disappeared, only to be found later, hidden between the gramophone case and the wall their contents eerily and completely removed as if by some insatiable, unseen entity. 
With the cold hand of winter tightening its grip, the family resorted to more desperate measures to combat the unrelenting supernatural assault. They called upon a varied cadre of exorcists, including both witch doctors and Christian clergymen, in a vain attempt to banish the dark presence. However, each effort met with failure, the spectral forces seemingly impervious to their rituals and rites. Following the older brother's departure from the household, a noticeable escalation in the haunting occurred, as if his absence had unleashed a torrent of pent-up malevolent energy. By April 1929, a sinister new development occurred. Miss Cohn, in a letter to her sister Edith, detailed a horrifying incident involving young Demidar. The boy had been viciously bitten by an unseen force, leaving his skin marred with thick, bubbly saliva. This disturbing event was not isolated to Demidar. His adoptive parents, too, bore the marks of this invisible force their bodies showing signs of viscous saliva, scratches, and pinches from unseen hands. The entity then turned its attention to Demodar's younger sister, who had only been born the previous year. She became another victim of its cruelty, suffering inexplicable pinches and scratches. The most harrowing incident occurred on the evening of April 28, 1929. During supper, Demidar had helped his sister with her bib, but partway through the meal, she was suddenly seized by a fit of distress, clutching at her neck. Rushing to her aid, they found the bib drawn tightly around her throat, knotted at the back with a series of six intricate knots, a sinister manifestation of the entity's terrifying intent. April in the Ketkar household was marked by a relentless surge of paranormal incidents, leaving their sinister mark in a myriad of chilling ways. Demidar's shirt was savagely torn while he wore it, as if by unseen claws. His young sister suffered a sudden and unexplained cut on her thumb, from which blood ominously flowed. In a particularly sinister event, a rusted, forgotten razor blade was hurled through the air by an unseen hand, slicing into Demidar's legs. The family, driven to the edge of their endurance, sought the aid of another exorcist. A prayer meeting was convened, a collective supplication for respite. Amid the solemn chants and prayers, objects continued to be hurled by the unseen force, yet a fragile peace seemed to settle over the household in the aftermath. This eerie calm permeated May and June, offering a brief respite that was as welcome as it was unsettling. For the shadow of dread lingered, a silent specter waiting in the wings. With the arrival of July, the paranormal activities resumed with renewed vigor compelling the family to seek understanding and assistance from a diverse array of spiritual experts. Clairvoyants, priests, and witch doctors were consulted, each offering their own theories in an attempt to unravel the mystery of why Demidar was the focus of such malevolent intention. Among the theories posited, one suggested that the haunting was the work of the family's deceased eldest son, 
his spirit unable to find peace in the afterlife. Another theory proposed a more sinister origin. A vengeful colleague of their long-deceased father, who, it was rumored, had once employed a sorcerer to curse the father using spirits under his control. This curse, like a dark inheritance, was believed to have been passed on to the boys upon their father's death. The chilling conclusion drawn by some was that the cessation of this torment could only be achieved with the end of the family line. A morbid and despairing prospect that hung over the household like a pall. Amidst the unrelenting storm of supernatural occurrences, Miss Cone, armed with unwavering resolve, delved deeper into her research, seeking any thread of understanding in the tapestry of the unknown. Her quest led her to the haunting tale of Eleonora Zugan, a young girl from Romania whose experiences bore a striking resemblance to the terrifying events that had engulfed her nephew. The parallels were too profound to dismiss as mere coincidence, igniting a spark of hope in Miss Cone that perhaps understanding lie within reach. Compelled by this discovery, she reached out to Harry Price, a renowned British psychological researcher deeply connected to the Zugan case. Her determination culminated in a journey to London, where she met Price and presented him with her meticulously kept journal and the detailed reports of the phenomena that had haunted the Ketkar household. Price, a man seasoned in the study of the paranormal, was profoundly impressed by her findings. He recognized in Miss Cohn a witness of exceptional credibility, her observations and detailed accounts eclipsing those of many experienced investigators. Her notes, rich with detail and insight, offered a valuable perspective on the unnerving events that had unfolded in Pune. The Pune case, shrouded in mystery and fear, began to draw the attention of others who sought to shed light on its enigmatic nature. Among them was J.D. Jenkins, who penned a letter to the London Weekly Journal, The Spectator, in 1934. He recounted his own investigation into the Pune haunting a few years prior. During his visit to the Ketkar household and his examination of young Demidar, Jenkins himself became a direct witness to the inexplicable phenomena. A bottle of ink was violently hurled at him by unseen forces. His experiences within the walls of the Katkar home led him to a stark realization. Articulated in his writings, the simplistic explanations of malobservation or illusion, which he had once entertained, were wholly inadequate in accounting for the chilling reality of the events he witnessed. In a twist that seemed to draw yet more veils over the already enigmatic Pune case, Harry Price extended an invitation to the Ketkar family to come to London for a more thorough and detailed study. Yet, in a move as mysterious as the events that had unfolded around them, Miss Cohn and the Ketkar family receded into the shadows of history. Their subsequent silence, as peculiar as the phenomena that had besieged them. Miss Cohn's journal and her detailed notes, however, found their way into the public eye, 
emerging in multiple publications of the era, a testament to the unnerving events that had unfolded in their household. Price, a man well-versed in the labyrinthine mysteries of the paranormal, harbored a hope that the eerie occurrences that had so relentlessly haunted the Katkar family would diminish with time, particularly as Demidar grew older. Yet this remained a hope unfulfilled for the ultimate fate of the family, and the continuation or cessation of the haunting events slipped away into the realm of the unknown. What remains undeniable is the enduring presence of paranormal activity cases that continue to emerge, each as intricately detailed and deeply unsettling as the tale that had unfolded within the walls of the Ketkar household. The Puna case, shrouded in its spectral mystery, remains a chilling reminder of the inexplicable forces that sometimes intersect our mortal lives. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. Alright. Yeah. I think we're good. I think we're good. The, the Puna Poltergeist. Yeah, Puna. Puna. I'm pretty stoked for this one. Depending on how you yeah. pronounce it. Puna this, sounds better we to had me. A conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we had a conversation, I think about this time last year, we had a conversation about how the paranormal community in India is really like starting to take off. Yeah. We're starting to hear a lot of reports. There are a lot more like, uh, paranormal investigation teams going on over there now. As there should be. Um, they've had a real like cultural surgeons over there in the last probably 10 years. So yeah, it's, I'm excited to hear more stories that come out of, come out of India. I mean, there are a lot of people there. You know what I mean? The population going, is huge. The yeah. cities are big. Going over this one, I mean, I, I stumbled upon a couple of others as well. So, yeah, I mean, we can definitely, we can definitely hit hit a few for sure. I, yeah, I've been seeing more and more of them. So, I, it's, it's almost like this whole new chapter is opened up in you know in paranormal history that we didn't really we weren't really privy to for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, yeah, I think it's awesome, and I think it's something obviously needs to needs to have more light shed on. Like, yeah. and we have so many stories from the states or from the U.S. and yep. Europe, the U.K. Yep. Right, but I mean, like those are those are all we talk about. Yeah, that's that's really much it. Yeah, or really pretty much it. Yeah, so yeah, it's nice There's to get just, to throw I some think, more in there, and we get. You know, we get a lot of UFO cases from South America. We get cryptid. There's a lot of cryptid type stuff from, I'd say, like coastal Africa. We've yeah. heard a lot of those stories. Yeah, that's fair. But like, I think the language barrier is huge. I think yeah. a lot, a lot of it is language barrier. But India is a massive. I mean, a massive, massive chunk of the East that like largely speaks english now yeah yeah that's you fair. know what i mean mm-hmm. like so we're we're starting to get some crazy i mean this is right up there with any poltergeist case we've ever covered as far as how extreme it is yeah i i mean i agree i think uh i mean this one it has a lot a lot to it 
uh, it, because it's, I mean, this spans, the information we have spans over a year, right? So yeah. there's just so much to it in that first year that affects everyone. And so, and I think that's, that's what kind of makes it, uh, it makes it kind of like a, a heavy hitter in that case. Yeah. And I mean, you have like, not only do you have all the classics, like floating objects, disappearing things, um, but you get the actual violent end of it with the scratching and the biting, right? Slapping things out of people's hands, things being launched at them, like. <laughs> and then you get the it's more, pretty crazy. The more humorous things, like the sound of this thing chomping away at some fruit, yeah, and just him knock like knocking food out of this little ten year old boy's hands that he just tries to eat. <laughs> I mean, it's it's terrible, but it's also. You know, it, it is kind of funny. I can't help but laugh. Right, exactly. Because we also, you know, growing up we were, you know, asshole teenagers, and that was one of the funniest things you could possibly do to one of your friends, is slap their food out of their hands. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I I know I had it happen to me a couple times, so, but, you know, just thinking about, I don't, I don't know, it, it just adds a little bit of, like, comedic relief to, to the story. Um because I mean, again, they they go through a lot, uh, and a lot of just yeah. I mean, everyone that goes to the house also experiences it. Yeah, this this case gets insanely heavy. Yeah, it's um, it does for as sure. comedic as some of the moments are. Like when you described them finding the fruit with the tooth marks in it, I pictured like I pictured like the uncles in Casper. You know the like oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, that's, they're constantly trying to eat food. I didn't think about that, but that's super funny. Did it just like go right through them? Yeah, I think so. That's what I thought. It, but like, that—that's instantly what came to mind. I've no—I've never heard of a ghost that eats food before. Right, same. That's that's what that's what was kind of kind of really odd about this one. But I, yeah, because I'd I'd never heard that either. But I guess if they can bite a person, they can bite a banana, right? That's true. But yeah, it's uh. I don't know. I mean, it it it's it is strange. And the the thing with the eggs, yeah, like they find the find the eggs, like what was like six eggs that were randomly had randomly like been misplaced to, I guess like this corner, this little area that they hadn't been you know checked before or whatever. Yeah. But the eggs were like drained of everything inside of them. Like yeah, I don't know weird. if it was actually if they were cracked open and emptied, or if they were emptied in a yeah. hole, just like a hollow shell. Yeah. So, which would be even more weird. The right. latter would definitely be more strange. Yeah. That's what I'd like to hope for, though, is that they were just completely just hollow. Just empty eggs? Yeah. Yeah. It'd just that make would, it so so yeah, much more strange. But, yeah. So, like, what I'm curious about, because the story mentioned that the older brother had some experiences first. Yeah. He, like, he had some, like, missing time, or he was right. transported or something like that. So... Okay, so just to give a little bit more information about the brother. So the brother was, of course, adopted by the Ketkars later as well. Uh, he is the you know the actual brother of Demodar, the adopted son. Okay. Um, and they eventually, like, of course, you know, um, 
Dr. Katkar, being the good guy he is, follows up on the older brother because they hadn't adopted him. You know, he's he's off working in like a tea factory or some like tea store or whatever in the area. Yeah. I mean, mind you, this is in the 20s. Um, so Something in the hot beverage industry. Right. Yeah. So he, you know, he's doing that. And so, of course, the doctor being the good guy he is, he's checking up on him, making sure he's you know, okay, being treated fairly. Finds out like this kid is just completely malnourished and overworked and you know he he raises he raises attention to it and works out a deal with um another family basically to let him stay there as long as he agrees to go to school and everything okay which he does so the first year everything is great you know it's it's solid it's working well and all of a sudden into the second year he's walking uh, i believe he's walking home from school one day um and he even has like his satchel on him you know he's walking and all of a sudden he's just transported into this victoria gardens area minus his satchel like his satchel still left in the real world but he's like completely teleported into this area and then teleported back so you know of course he's 15 year old boy he goes home and talks about it and you know his family that's housing him for the you know the time being they're course they don't believe him but more stuff starts to happen so they they start to buy it you know and eventually and unfortunately you decide we can't we can't house you anymore like you know we we don't want this to cause problems with us uh you know and whatever else right so the cat cars decide to we'll go ahead and you know go ahead and adopt them let them live let them live with us so they do so everything is all hunky-dory we've got demodar 10 years old uh, his older brother which i never got the older brother's name so that's why he's referred to as the older brother of the teenager in the story um yeah but he he moves in everything is fine for for a short period and all of a sudden it's kind of weird stuff starts to happen you know things are falling off shelves moving on their own um you know really minor things at first um, yeah like the mirror being dropped down right well like the, the mirror thing's lowered weird because down to the floor it's like a 60 inch tall mirror and it's removed lightly from the wall and this uh mrs cone which is the sister of edith which is the dr Katkar's wife so they all live together yeah but miss cone right. uh she's the one that writes the the keeps the journal but she states basically this yeah. mirror like slowly comes off the wall and lightly goes to the ground and just sits like stands there basically yeah and then so they're like okay this is kind of weird uh and she's basically saying there's got to be some rational explanation so she starts to note it and then she watch she watches on another occasion this big paperweight that's sitting on this desk do the same thing yeah. lifts up off the desk lightly goes to the ground and just sits there so then she's noting all of these kind of weird things that are happening like and then that's when things kind of start to take off you know like more stuff starts to right. move on its own. Um, they start to hear more noises. Um, one of the one of the big ones that event that actually kind of was the first major one to take place was when the older brother um, he was he was sleeping and his bed was like violently pulled from the wall and like thrown into the middle of the floor in like a forty five degree angle. Yeah. Um, and he's like completely it was like violently thrown from it. And you know, of course, he doesn't want to sleep back in the bed. He he opts to sleep on the floor yeah um yeah you know, and that. so that's when things really start to take off and right. then slowly it seems like it actually starts to put its focus on demodar and no longer on the older brother and so i mean yeah. he's he's having like these weird things starting to happen to him i mean he's um you know having stuff thrown at him he's uh no worries uh, yeah so he's like having random stuff thrown at him you know it starts reasonably light i mean that's i guess as light as 
you know, whatever, I guess. Poltergeist skit. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, yeah, that kind of starts and picks up as, as the, you know, as the months progress. And then we start to see the, you know, real shit happening and, you know, really turns violent. And then it starts, like, starts really attacking him. Any place he goes, it starts to throw things at him. Um, he becomes like the sole focus in the house and nobody can figure out why, like why, why is it targeting him specifically? I mean, it got so bad to the point where he would try to take a bite of food, you know, and it would smack it out of its hands. Yeah. It would throw his, his like plate of food onto the floor. Um, you know, and that's when the, and the, like we, and we talked about how like sort of comical that is to imagine, but imagine if it happened every single time you tried to eat anything. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, that's torture. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't able to eat. He wasn't able to drink because it would literally smack the drink away from his lips the second he, like, he would start to take a drink. Um, You know, and that's yeah. where it got... Even when we were asshole teenagers, if you did that to someone, one of your friends twice in a row, all of the rest of your friends are like, not cool, dude. Yeah. Like, once is funny. You do it twice, you're right. just being a dick. Yeah. So, like, imagine if it happened every single time. Mm-hmm. That's... It's pretty awful. Like if you when you talk about like how the dad would sort of have to like shield him as he walked him through the house, that's fucking scary. Yeah, you'd have like, to put him on his lap and they could only hand feed him. Like they were feeding him out of his out of their yeah. hands. And like the dad was like holding him like basically like cradling him because as they were trying to feed him, he's just getting shit like thrown at him too. So, That's so crazy. <laughs> it's tough, yeah. And did this did this stuff it you said it followed him to he had some incidents outside of the home as well. Yeah, so right? it, it got so bad that he like, you know, obviously he's going to school, he's a young boy, and these like he would see he would be on his way to to and from school and he would see these apparitions, like these faces, and he said that they were terrifying looking faces, like very grotesque. Uh, just like smiling yeah. at him and, you know, like just whispering in his ear and, and doing all these things just to mess with him the whole time. It's like he, he had these bullies that just followed him everywhere he went and affected everything he tried to do. Yeah. That's crazy. That's torture. It's, it is. It's, it's super sad. I mean, just imagine this kid like, you know, he thinks like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can get out of the house. Maybe, you know, and all of a sudden he just starts having him walking with him to school like, Probably telling them, like, you know, like they trip them and nice leg, stupid. And then they're like smiling <laughs> at them and just, just being mean. And the kid's like, come on. And yeah. It's so rude. It is. It is. It's, it's terrible. But yeah. So, I mean, it, it keeps, you know, it keeps picking up. And so finally, they, they of course, they hire, or well, they talk people into coming into the home. Um, you know, coming into the home and, and yeah, like seeing what's happening. You know, and and of course, they try to ex- they try to exercise the home and everything. And that just makes it worse. Um, Always. And I mean, there's like they they had a period of like one day, like one or two days of like silence, and it just worse. Yeah. You know, as as things tend to be. Yeah. Um. I mean, they had. They had a fucking parade of people come in and try to help. Yeah, numerous occasions, for sure. The longest one was the one that lasted from... They had came in in May, in uh, May of uh, 29, and so they saw, they saw like, the, the kind of lull in activity from June and July, and then the end of July, it finally it picked back up. Yeah, they had, like, a, 
a two month break. Right. And at that time, like, and some somewhere around in there, they had given, you know, she had given birth to the daughter. So the daughter, I mean, it's the daughter's yeah. baby, like newborn still. Where things get even scarier after right. the daughter's born. So. I mean, the daughter is starting to get like pinched and scratched, and yeah, um, you know, at one point, like she like just gets a random cut that you know that she's she's randomly bleeding from out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest things was, uh, which in the story we don't talk about it a whole lot, but there's there's a a part where they're sitting down for dinner, and yes. um, Demidar's told to to you know put the bib on the baby. So the baby's being, being very fidgety as babies are. You know, he like it, he basically puts a does like one of the one of the little I don't know, call it a bow like Half when you tie hunts. you know when you tie yeah. like a bow or tie your shoes whatever does it on like one shoulder and the other one's like left off because he can't he couldn't really do anything. So you know it's still on there kind of it's loosely on it. Right. And all of a sudden the next thing you know this baby's being strangled by it and there's what like six knots in yeah. And this thing, six full, full on heavy knots tied into this, right. this bib that's strangling this child. And yeah. there's obviously no way it would have been Demidor because he, I mean, he couldn't even, it yeah. was loosely on there. He couldn't I even think get she, both sides tied. I think she described them as, as six intricate knots. Right. Yeah. So they weren't even like regular Right. I mean, knots, not something you, you can just like, and like, you know, do, like yeah. tie it a couple times and then it's knotted, right? Yeah. I mean, these were right. six full, full on intricate knots. So, which is crazy. And this, you know, and this is obviously, this is happening. Dude. Nobody can see it happening. I mean, this thing's obviously tying this while well, you, nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Um, and then starts hey, choking her Honestly, out. that's, that's the scariest part of the whole story to me. Like... Yeah. The razor is pretty fucked up, and we'll get to that. But like, the you know how fast? Uh, I mean, this baby's what a few months old. Yeah, it's just a few six months, months old, old that maybe point, right? something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you know how fast a a child that age can suffocate? It's so fucking quick. Easily. It's so much mm-hmm. faster than people think. Like, yeah, their lungs are so tiny that like you can literally a baby can literally suffocate in moments in less than a minute. Like imagine, and I like put myself in the position of the parents rushing over and like trying to frantically untie these intricate right. knots, and like, dude, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, I mean that that's when I mean that's when it's like at its peak. Yeah, um, you know, and, and and again, things are things are being thrown. People are actually getting hurt. You know, that's when it's actually causing causing pain to the people living there. Um, and there's yeah. a point where uh, Demidar gets bitten. And yep, like a, a gnarly like a bite, and then it's right, <laughs> Get, like a gnarly bite that like turns into this like this gross, uh, like they they describe it as like this. Uh, oh, I can't remember exactly how it was described, but it was word for word. Uh, but it was basically like this like thick saliva, like thick, slimy saliva, right? Yeah. yeah. And then not only yeah. did it happen to him, but it also happened to the parents. Yeah. Right afterward, which. That's- which is crazy. Yeah, the bites are weird. That's you go check the dental records on right. that. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't I mean, I don't, you know. I don't know what uh I don't know what that, these these spirits, ghosts, whatever you want to call them are carrying, but I mean, he he could have caught some disease. Maybe that uh thick slimy saliva was ectoplasm. It might have been. Yeah. 
That's possible. That's something they used to talk about a lot with like yep. um with in the spiritualist movement. They used to talk about ectoplasm a lot. Yeah. Which always makes me think of that Speaking uh, of Haunting in Connecticut movie when there's that oh, scene yeah. where he like just jolts back and then you just see it like rising out of his Yeah. Super cool. Yep. Speaking of the spiritualist movement, we got fucking Harry Price got involved. Which yeah. if you're uh if you're a deep campfire fan you'll know we talked about harry price when we did the borley rectory as well yeah so because he he got famous investigating the borley rectory yeah i mean this this dude this dude was legit he knew his stuff i mean he was very well known um so he was he was closely tied to the zugan case um and in that case like he was he was one of the main like uh people researching into it so she, um, Mrs. Cone or Miss H. Cone, never found her full name. I was able to find Edith, but so yeah. she reaches out, uh, to Harry Price. She sends him a letter. She, you know, he invites her to come to London. Uh, she shares her journals and everything. And he, I mean, right away, like, you know, this guy, this guy was impressed with how thorough she was and how detailed. And he even yeah. made a comment saying, um, loosely, uh, saying that she, she was better and more more in depth and more prepared than most paranormal investigators. Yeah, by everything that she you know had reported on and made note of and everything in her journals. So she. Well, it's important to it's it's important to recognize that this all the adults in this family were like highly edu- yeah, educated. That they were super like they're intellectuals, right? They're mm-hmm. you know what I mean. They're like high performing intellectuals. And like that instantly makes them, I think, a lot more credible. It sort of sets well, and it sort of sets it at at odds. The story at odds because you have that classic sort of um, trope of the of the skeptic turned believer. Yeah, right. Because they're they're super intellectual. They're college educated. They're these aren't people who are who were like out chasing ghosts on the weekend right. before this happened. No, I mean they're you they're know what all... I mean very respective in their fields i mean yeah yeah so yeah not just yeah. definitely not worth to say noting, that there sure. aren't high performing intellectuals who do go out and chase ghosts on the weekends but most of them that's true will tell you that they had an experience that changed the mm-hmm. that made them believe you know what i mean and this is these people's experience i mean that, i'd say that that's the case believe. with most people not all not all but most yeah, for developing yeah. a you know a deep interest into paranormal or fourteen world or whatever else you know some type of experience yep. that got them there or just you know just random curiosity but a fascination with it. Yeah, but yeah, I think a lot of it stems from something that's happened, maybe something they saw out of the corner of their eye that they couldn't you know they couldn't piece together or explain. Yep. So, series of dreams that exactly, that shook yeah. them. It's the smallest thing can make mm-hmm. you, you know, start to question your reality. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so yeah, he say, was impressed with her journal. He was impressed. Yeah, and, you know, and so they they start to they they develop kind of this working relationship. Um, you know, agree to agree to dive more into it and everything. Um, and then he decides. Let's invite the whole family out. He has he has his own private lab. Yeah. You know they can do some more studies, figure out kind of what's going on here, and really kind of piece things together. Right. And at that point, Miss Cohn and the rest of the family stop stop replying. 
stop responding. Yeah. Nobody hears from them again. And there's literally like no no record of anybody talking to them or anything after that point. Yeah, that's interesting. Which is weird. So like it is weird. I don't know if, you know, they let their story kind of just ride out for a while, you know, and then just kind of lay laid low or just try yeah. not to draw too much attention to themselves and then just lived out everything peacefully after that. Um or I, it's hard to say. I mean, we we can only speculate because yeah. really we don't have anything else to go on. But Harry didn't eventually release the journals and um, a document titled "An Indian Poltergeist," um, and it's all all of the journals. It's it's obviously written by Miss H. Cohn and and under Harry Price. Um, you know, they document all these things. Yeah. And, you know, kind of gets gets into the public eye for a little while and became a big thing uh, for that time period. Yeah. And then he also, it even said to Miss Cohn that his hopes were eventually, as as um, Demodar ages, maybe these will start to, you know, sure. become less and less frequent. As we so, often see, right? Exactly. So maybe that's cases. maybe that's what happened. Yeah. You know, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, we know a lot's going on, and this is at its peak point when she reaches out. She's finally getting in touch with them. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what's also strange. I mean, but we've also seen we've seen hauntings and poltergeist situations where it just flips like a switch True. and it's over. Yeah. And they never have an experience again. You know. Yeah. That's um, fair. That's my. Fair. My zero or 100 brain thinks that either wants to think that either that's what happened, that just one day they woke up or maybe over the period of a few weeks, it got less and less and then it faded out and they were just like, there's no need to pursue this. It's gone now. Yeah. Or whatever this was just sort of, you know, erased them from existence. That's that's possible, too. (laughs) You know, like, I mean... Maybe instead of transporting them to Victoria Gardens, it just transported them to another dimension. <laughs> Maybe. And they're just gone. Hopefully they they had a better experience in a, that other dimension. Right? Yeah. But it's weird, though, right? Like, that... that it I is. just find that super It is super weird to strange. just sort of fade out. Yeah, like... It's a sort of really... It's a really not... It's a really unrewarding end yeah it is to the story to not the same have time, any idea what actually happened it makes it that much more weird like was yeah, this true was this lady miss cone was she just a fantastic writer yeah could have been and dude. she's like dabbling in like horror fiction or yeah did this family literally just disappear off the face of the earth was this like was this like the first version of a viral marketing campaign right i mean yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. It's I weird. don't know. Yeah, it's um, you know, a sort of a proto found footage film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's true too. I mean, I mean, go ahead. I I just yeah, to me, it just like it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm stuck trying to figure out like how how this happened. I mean, what 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 could have happened? Like again, I mean maybe they decided to ride it out and try to stay out of the out of the light and whatever else i mean that's that's i feel like that's possible yeah but it's just it's It's weird though that when they finally found someone who seemed capable and willing to take on the case fully that's when they disappear right i mean the fact that this ends so mysteriously 
sort of makes it the perfect case for us to announce our new Friday show. So from now on, every Friday, we are going to be doing a show called Camp Divination, where we're having a friend of the show, Carly Latham, is going to be joining us every Friday, and we're going to take our unanswered questions from the Tuesday episode to her, and she's going to pull some cards. We're going to explore some different perspectives on the case and uh, see if we can... See if we can arrive at something that we're comfortable, you know, a, a theory that we're comfortable supporting, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it'll uh, I think it'll also help to just I don't know, be slightly more educated to make a you know to build a theory. Yeah. Um. Yep. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And if you're a fan of Tales from Ravenbrook, which we've been doing every Friday up to this point, that's going to be on its own feed where. Tales from Ravenbrook isn't going anywhere. It's We're not stopping that. We're going to keep that going on its own feed. And um, we'll have announcements all over social media and all that for, for how to go and, and follow that. And as for well. those of you that don't listen to Tales from Ravenbrook, feel free to go check it out. You know, and again, it's going to be its own yeah. separate separate thing from now on. Um, yep. Full-scale audio drama. That way we can really focus. And I think I think having this new Friday Friday approach going to keep it under you know we're focusing on the same episode we're going to have more information you know a different approach to yep you know like jordan said you know to being able to you know create theory or whatever else and i think yeah i think it's gonna just help overall because we're going to continue to focus on the same episode versus just doing this that or whatever else um you know kind of yeah really just build up on on the topic for that week yeah because i would say like the last six months or so Um, we've kind of been in like Friday's kind of been like a scramble position. Like we're, you know, working, trying, working on different things, seeing what fits, what works best for the Friday episode. Yeah. Um, it was really no longer tenable to, to be doing interviews every single week. Right. Like with scheduling and all that. Um, we will occasionally have fireside chats as, you know, as we chat with people, those will pop up here and there. Those will be um, more kind of one-offs, but, though. Yep, absolutely. Sort of in the vein of like, um, if you're a fan of Last Podcast on the Left, you'll get you'll get a random interview with like a, a horror movie director or something like that. Every four or five months, one will pop up. So more more like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this camp divination I think is going to give us a chance to really connect the Tuesday and Friday episodes. Mm-hmm. It'll be more streamlined. See, It'll be more that's focused what I like on. About it. Yeah. Again, yeah. we'll just continue to get to focus. And it's something, you know, like we kind of talked about doing. Um, not anything like that, but had talked about doing like a, a follow up on on socials, like what we thought about stuff and whatever else. Yeah. I think, you know, this is kind of like that, but it's going to be a lot better. And again, and then we'll also get to have Carly is in, involved in everything too. So that's going to just add a whole like other thing to you know to it that i think is going to be absolutely cool yeah i think i'm i'm really excited to uh to really get into it to really get started so yeah yeah that's that's the exciting announcement and i think you picked the perfect case for the first week of it well hopefully yeah i mean 
There's so many questions. There are. I'm, there I'm are. so confused. I'm left so confused right now <laughs> about what happened to this family. Same. But all I know is they had a very rough time yeah. over this year. Like, yeah, this year from July of 1928 to July of 29, I think it was what it was. Yep. So literally a full year and then vanished. Yeah. Erased from existence. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. In another dimension. Yeah. I'll buy the other dimension idea. Yeah? Yeah. You going with that for now? Hey, I mean, if if uh, young, well, the teenage yeah, teenage brother, if he yeah. was able to get randomly teleported and it happened on numerous occasions, why can't the whole family? Yeah, that's true. I think it's just... Or maybe, the, maybe one day the poltergeist decided to tighten all their bibs. I mean, that's that's possible, too. I've, 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 I've thought about that. Like, maybe just... Maybe there's a random unsolved homicide, like group homicide, that we're unaware of. Yeah. You know what I mean? That ties this all together. Mm-hmm. There very well could be. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we should just look up... I mean, I don't know how to check... I don't know how to check Indian police records, do I mean, you? No. <laughs> I'm sure somebody does. Yeah. Any of our if, uh, if anyone's gotten if to the you, bottom of this, let yeah. us know. Feel free to feel free to help us out. But I don't know. I maybe I'm maybe I'm forever the optimist, but I like to think that it just sort of faded out and they stopped having issues, and that's See, why I mean, they that's, stopped contacting. That's ultimately him. what I think too. Is I, I think yeah they stopped they stopped really talking about it. Maybe they started to get too much when when Mr. Price wanted them to come to to london and they're yeah. like well we should probably try and keep you know more quiet about it like maybe they started to you know started to be ridiculed by some of the people in the community i don't you know whatever so they're like yeah, you right, never know we'll just kind of we'll quit and see what happens yeah so maybe they moved house and it took care of it maybe you know that stuff yeah. happens too that's that's true but it didn't happen because of the house it happened because of the older brother we think Maybe maybe the older brother moved out. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he ended up getting another job at one point. Yeah. Um, you know, and but things were still going on. Yeah. But I I'm assuming they most likely started to die off. Yeah. Because of that. I think the phenomena, not the people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That one. <laughs> Either or yeah. really. I mean, take your pick. Yeah. Yeah, you could go both. Ways. I mean, the one person's theory was that it wouldn't go away until the, until line, the was line was ended, severed, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's intense. And that is, but I mean, that's not what you want to hear. We, you know, that's that's what a lot of modern, like modern TV on random, obscure vampire sh- shows or werewolves <laughs> sure. or anything else, you yeah, know, tells that's what us they'd have that, you believe, right? So I don't know. I yeah. I think I think ultimately that's probably what happened. It makes the most sense. But uh, yeah, yeah. I I guess we'll never know. But hopefully we can get a little bit more to the bottom of it. You know me me for Friday and get to go over it a little bit more. Yeah, I hope so. I'm looking forward to it as you should be. Well, I think that's uh, yeah. Honestly, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, this was episode 132, the Puna Poltergeist. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, 
so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at Campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.